Okay. Um, so maybe one or two people want to say some things that they do when they when visitors are coming. Yes, go ahead, Elena. Clean the house. Yes, that's my number one, always. <laughs> Clean the house. What else? Anything else you do? Grocery shop. Grocery shop. Make sure you got food in the fridge. Yes. Maybe made, but at least in the fridge, right? <laughs> Anybody else? Yes, sorry, Jan. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, you got the good attitude, Jan, because that's where I was going, actually. I often, oh yeah, go ahead. Cook. Okay, that's another thing we often do. That's right, have the food ready. And usually, it's true for visitors, at least a lot of times I remember thinking, wow, it's a good thing that visitors are coming because that's the way my house gets clean. <laughs> you know, um, because we tend to, we want to fix it up, you know, a little bit. I want you to think about this. What about Jesus? When you invite Jesus, do you feel like you have to clean up? Do you feel like you have to have things all perfect before he comes in, before you let him come? Um, let's go ahead. We're going to explore today, actually, come as you are. What it means to come to Jesus without doing anything first. So let's bow our heads for another quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray that you empty me totally of myself today. I want to be a conduit for you to speak to your people today. Lord, may every single person here have some encouragement today, have something today that they can grasp onto and they can go home and meditate on and just see how beautiful you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn to Matthew 11. And um, by the way, um, I do need someone who's going to have a, mic, a roving mic because I do want, as you know, I like it a little bit more interactive, just a sermon. So I'd like you guys to help me reading and doing other things, answering questions and so forth. So we're going to look at Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. And I would like, is there a person who would mind carrying? I don't know if Caleb wants to do that. Take the... He's our great helper. Yeah, that would be great. If anybody would like to read that. And when you read, I want you to read nice and loud and with expression so that people really get the text in case they don't have a Bible with them. Okay? So it's Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Anybody willing to read that? Okay, Ephraim, over here. And put your hand up nice and high so Caleb can see it. He, he, knows, he knows you. But. Yeah, he's bringing a mic. There we go. Okay, nice and loud. Okay, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heaven laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, yeah, it was to th it's fine. Stop there. Okay, when we come to Jesus, what does he promise us? The one word. Rest. He promises rest. You can continue reading. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest into your souls. Okay, thank you. Um, when, when do you come to Jesus, does he say? It's right there in the first verse as well. When you're what? Tired? Heavy laden? I'm going to repeat only for the sake of Zoom, so or the 
the video so they, they know what you're saying. Yeah, when you're, okay, does it say, come, when you've got it all together, come to me. Does he say that? No, he says when you're weary or weak or heavy laden, there are many different versions. But basically, you've got to be having a problem, right? There's a problem. You're, you're heavy laden, you're weary, you're tired, okay? But does it say we don't work at all? There's nothing we do. We just come. Resting means inactivity. Is that what it's saying? Uh, what's the one word there that tells us that there is some activity going on? There's something going on. There's work. Yoke, okay? Everybody knows what a yoke is, right? Um, for two oxen. I like this, this image because it gives me the idea that, you know, the, God's the papa ox, right? He's carrying the heavy load, but we still have to keep in step with him, right? We're still under the yoke. We may not be carrying the heavy burden of the yoke. He may be, but we're still um, under the yoke. So we come to him because we have an issue, right? Let's look up Mark 2.17, and somebody can put up their hand right now, so Caleb can come to you and read that, Mark 2.17. Elena has her hand up right here. By the way, I love, I, I think you guys should all take turns sitting up here when the kids have children's story. It's such a delight to see them here. This is how I want you today to contribute like they did today. Okay, Mark 2.17. Go ahead. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them that they that are holy have no need of the... Physician. Physician. But they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. So he says, you come to him when you need what? Say it. When you need help, when you're sick, right? When you need a visit. You don't go to a doctor when you're well and say, oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> okay, how much do you charge me just to let me know? Yes, I'm really great. No, you go to the doctor because you're sick. And it's the same thing here with Jesus. So when the enemy tells you, um, you, you can't come to Jesus, you got to clean yourself up a little bit. What do you tell him? Hmm? Yeah, get thee behind me, right? Okay. Because the very thing that the enemy is telling you um, that's holding you back, he's telling you to clean up, is actually what qualifies you to go to Jesus. Jesus says, I don't want you to come if you have it all together. Those are those self-sufficient, proud people who, I don't need Jesus, right? I don't need a physician. But the ones who realize I'm sick, he says, come to me. Um, and so it's your sin that qualifies you or recommends you to Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing to think about. I want you to look at Psalm 23. Well, there's a picture there. I love that picture because you see as they're letting the man down, and this is the one of the few times that Jesus did what before healing? Before healing this man, what did he do? He forgave his sins. And this man is kind of looking over the edge. I just like the picture because he's kind of looking to see, is he going to accept me? Because obviously the Pharisees didn't, nobody did. 
but he's wondering if Jesus will accept him, and he does. Um, Psalm 23, 1 and 2. Who would like to read that? Paul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Okay. There's, um, he restores my soul, I guess. Was that, is that, is that three? Sorry. <laughs> Should have put to three. He restores my soul as well. So I want to look at that. This is a very famous psalm. We often go to this. And I love the progression in that psalm because it does go through and it talks about being in the valley of the shadow of death. It does talk about being under uh, the rod and the staff, Right which insinuates that there's a little bit of discipline going on there, or there's some kind of crucible. We've been talking about crucibles. But when you come to Jesus, the first thing, what does he do? What is the first thing that's listed here? Buy still waters, or is it green pastures? Uh, green pa- he has you lie down in green pastures. He leads you by still, not just not bubbling brooks, right? He's leading you by still waters. He's restoring your soul. And Jesus is saying, come to me because this is, I just want you to rest. And often we talk about going for Jesus, right? Going, going, we've got to be disciples. And yes, but if you don't come to Jesus, you can't go for Jesus. The Jesus says, come. He doesn't just say go. He says, come to me, and then I will send you out. But you need rest, and you need healing. And this is, by the way, not a one-time thing, right? It's a daily thing. Every day, every morning, we need that come to Jesus time. So we can go, right? Go out and shine for Jesus. Um, So I'm just going to read a few things here. You come to Jesus when you're weak and heavy laden, when you're exhausted and you don't feel like caring about anybody or anything, when you sinned against God or maybe his people and you're too ashamed to approach God, come to him anyway. When you're sick and you wonder why he didn't intervene, when you're discouraged and you feel alone, When darkness presses around you and you feel overwhelmed with maybe even depression. When you're angry that he did not show up for you or for one of your loved ones. Just come to Jesus in every circumstance, in all circumstances. Um, The little piece of paper you just got, I want you to write, um, it's going to be yes or no. And I want you to write uh, on that paper... Yes or no, depending on, okay, this is the question. Um, If you were to die tonight or whatever, do you have assurance of salvation? If you were to go tonight, do you have assurance of salvation? All you do is write yes or no. And then Caleb, I guess, or somebody, maybe Elena, would you mind, because Caleb has the mic, would you mind picking them up? You can just... Uh, turn it upside down there or fold it if you'd like, and Elena will come by. This is just between you. It's totally anonymous. Uh, we're going to take account to see more or less where we are, you know, if people have that assurance. So um, I don't know, both of you girls, maybe would you both like to go? One, if you can take one side, one, you can take the other. So get up and you can go ahead and pick them up. Who? I need two people who would like to count those for me. 
Okay, got one. Another person. Got to keep Carlisle accountable. We need two people. Anybody else want to help count the yeses and noes? Okay, Sarah. Okay, the two of you can go to the back and quickly do it as quickly, uh, do it as, quickly as you can. Um, oh, you can also. Yeah. Elena, do you want to pick them up on that side? Okay, we're going to do that as quickly as possible. And while we're doing that, I want you again to get with your neighbor. Try to get those as quickly as possible so that they can count them. Um, did everybody get a piece of paper? Does everybody have one? Just want to make sure. All right. Do you guys have the other papers at the back? Did you give the papers to them? Go and give the papers to them. To Sarah and to Carlisle. Okay. So quickly count out the yeses and noes and... Okay, while we're doing that, I want you, with the person next to you, to say, what is the one thing you are absolutely sure of, or you can be absolutely sure of, okay? The one thing you can absolutely be sure of, okay? 30 seconds each. Go ahead and... I hear that infamous one that keeps coming up. All right, so what are some of the things you can absolutely be sure of, or at least you can be absolutely sure of? Love of God. Uh, the love of God. Well, that's a beautiful thing if you're assured of that. Somebody else. I heard over there what you guys were saying. You want to say it out loud? Eternal life. Eternal life? Uh, no, it didn't. No, I was not looking for spiritual things at all. I mean, it's, if you have, go ahead. Yeah, taxes, right? My father would say death and taxes, it's the only two things you can be sure of. And, and now we don't even know of death, right? We don't know when Jesus is coming. So, but yeah, normally, under normal conditions, it would be death and taxes. Um, yes? Your bread and water will be sure. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> That's right. Okay, our necessities. Okay, anybody else want to contribute? God's faithfulness. Okay. Do you guys have something back there yet? His presence. Say it again. Truthfulness. Truthfulness. Oh, you guys are just loaded with great things we can be sure of. His mercy. Seeing if they, before I move on, I'd like to have a, an idea of what the answers were. Okay, so what did you come up with? Da, 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 here comes the paper. <laughs> uh, okay, that's fine. Okay, so 18 people said yes. That's beautiful. Three people said no. One said I don't know, and there was a blank. So maybe it was, I'm not sure as well. And so that's a beautiful thing that 18 of you are assured of your salvation. And it's, I'm speaking mainly to the three, but I'm speaking to everyone because there are always moments in our lives where we wonder, 
right? We wonder. And also in speaking with other, somebody else, how to encourage them. But um, I w I'm hoping that today, when we come out that 18, 21, 22, 22, it's going to be 23 people, just like I, Psalm 23. It's going to be 23 people going out of here that are all assured of their salvation. We're going to look at the first verse in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Who would like to read this? Put your hand up. Hi. Okay, Kevin. Caleb, you can go over to Kevin there. Okay, you can go ahead, stand up, or you can just sit down there and read it. That's fine, too. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm -hmm. So what is, according to this verse, what is the one thing we can be sure of? Nothing can separate us from what? Not from God, but from his love, right? From his love. Unfortunately, there are things that can separate us from God, but nothing can separate us from his love. And it's interesting that Darren is the one who, he, that's the first thing he said. You know, God's love, that's a sure thing. So the first thing I want you to know is that there is nothing that can separate you from his love. And now often we confuse, I think, uh, God's love with salvation. Salvation is totally self-determined. In the end, every person will decide whether they're saved or lost. It's our decision. But God's love, he will love you for, I mean, even when you're gone, right? Eternity. To love you for eternity. He loves Lucifer. It was his first child, right? He went astray. And, but uh, children make choices, right? And he will respect, because he loves them, he will respect their choices, their choice not to be saved. Um, but God's love was, he, nothing can separate you from his love. So I want you to remember that wherever you are at, he loves you as deep, as dark, as your experience is, he loves you, and you can always turn around and come back to him. I had your hand up. It's okay. I, I don't mind entertaining a question. I didn't condemn you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's right. He wants to. He has true love for you. Okay, the next verse, Romans 3.23, and just the first part of 6.23. Who would like to read that? Hands up. Oh, Sarah's going to read it. Okay. So 3.23 and 6.23, just the first part. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Okay. So what, is, what problem do we all have? Sin. Okay, so we can be sure that we are sinners. 
and we're in need of God's help. Now, why is this important to even admit or to know? I mean, why is this important to know that we're sinners? God can't help us if we, yeah, if we're perfect or if we think we are, <laughs> you know, right? He can't help us if we don't see a need for a solution. And so this is so important for us to realize. And it's a, it's a daily thing. I mean, I can tell you daily when I do confession and I ask the Lord, he does bring up things in my experience. And things sometimes that shock me lately. I've been reading through Joshua. I read through Achan and I'm reading you know, a little bit smugly about oh, how dumb can Achan be to take all that stuff. And then God told me, oh, but you have covetousness in your heart. Not like Achan, you're not going and stealing stuff, but you have, a, you know, you're, you have a desire, the same desires as, as Achan. And so he is constantly telling us, and, and he's the only solution, right? We learned, right? If we're sinners, we come to Jesus. There's no one else who, can, who has a cure for us. Okay, so let's read the last part. This is good news here. The last part of 623, and then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Anybody want to read that? Maybe, um, do you still have 623? I guess not. I was going to say you could read the, okay, you know, you know it. Well, do you do the last part? Who wants to read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? Okay, way at the back there, Grace wants to. But the gift of God is eternal life. Amen. You can run back there to Grace, and she's going to read Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, Amen. not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. It's nice it has your name in it, too. <laughs> okay. So what free gift does God offer us? Emphasis on free. Uh, that's right. Eternal life. You can be sure that God offers you the free gift of salvation and eternal life. It's hard. It's hard to take a gift. I can tell you that often, uh, since I, you know, I semi-retired, I quit my job, and it was very hard to receive, you know, for someone to say here, um, you know, to help me out. And uh, it's much easier to be on the giving end, to be the one who they owe me, but I don't owe them, right? So we're, but it'd be ridiculous if you think, it's your birthday, and I know today's Bella's birthday. <laughs> if I were to come up and say, here, I have a little gift for you, Bella, and then she says, oh, and she pulls out her wallet and wants to pay me for it, right? It's kind of like, it's almost a slap in the face. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's God is the same. He says, no, you can't. It's totally free. It's totally free. You can't pay for it at all. John 3.16, we all know it by heart, and let's say it. For God so world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life now we say that it rolls off our tongue but did you get how do we get this gift what is the word in there we believe okay believe there's that's a loaded word okay it's a loaded word it's not just mental assent 
You know, when you really believe in something and you get passionate about it, like you, you practically sell your soul for it, right? You're, you're just into your passion. And God says, I gave, I gave everything I had. I poured out all of heaven for you. And I want you to believe in the same way. I want you to buy in totally to this. So to believe that Jesus is your savior, um, be sure that Jesus is ready to, be sure to believe in Jesus as your savior. Okay, Revelation 3.20. I'll go ahead and read this one. So what is our answer to Jesus' request? Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So what is our answer to Jesus? And he says, here, here's the gift. We have a choice, right? Like here, he's knocking on the door. He has the gift, and what do we have to do? We have to open, right? He comes into our heart by faith. The door, it's the door to our heart, of course. And he comes in there by faith, and he comes in with his righteousness and his purity and his perfection. <clears throat> and uh, that's right. And actually, I don't know. if Actually, there probably isn't. There's one in the picture. But yes, there is no knob on the outside of that door because he will never force himself in. He doesn't try doorknobs. He just knocks, right? So you can be sure that Jesus is ready to live in your heart. Okay, this is all about what God wants to do for you. All right. Who did Jesus die for? Everyone. Will everyone accept? Unfortunately not, but he did die for anyone. And like Jan said, there's no doorknob on the outside. He does not force. So let's look up the last verse here, 1 John 1, 9. A very beautiful, oh, sorry, this is not the last verse, <laughs> the second last verse. Okay, and when you invite Jesus in, what does he immediately do? Let's look at 1 John 1, 9. Who would like to read that? You might. Okay, Paul right here. Thank you. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from our uh, sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what does he do when we invite him in? Forgive. He forgives and he cleanses. And this is kind of the two-part process. It isn't, you know, it's a lifetime process, right? He's forgiving and cleansing every day. And, and cleansing is the great news that he doesn't just want to forgive us of our sins, but he wants to take away our sins to the point that they become odious to us, like hateful to us. We don't want to do them anymore. Um, and I know he's done that for me. When I look back at some things that were very pleasurable and enjoyable for me, and now I look and I say, oh, I mean, I can't even, you know, but he's still working on me because there's still things he's revealing to me that I still kind of like and I want to hold on to. 
you know? And so this is a process of the forgiving and the cleansing because he's living in my heart. And now for the last good news one here. Be sure Jesus completely cleans our hearts, 1 John 5.13. And this is a, this I want you really to hold on to. You put a little bookmark there. Read this at home, this verse again, 1 John 5.13. Who would like to read that nice and loud? Okay, um, Angelina's going to say it for me, uh, read it for me. 1 John 5.13. Thank you. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the same, <clears throat> I'm sorry, but that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Mm-hmm. So what does this verse we can that what does this verse tell us that we can know for sure? What did she say? You can know that you have what? Eternal life. It actually says that right there. You can know. You can be assured that you have eternal life. And with assurance of salvation, there comes that peace, that rest, right? The joy in Jesus. You can be assured of your salvation. Okay. So you can be sure. Be sure. You, when you leave this, this place, you can know. If you follow this, these steps... You can be sure of your salvation if you come to Jesus. I want to give you a short testimony before, um, before I end here. Um, I don't know, short testimony, short, it's relative, but anyway. <laughs> um, I've had a few addictions in my life in the past, and um, I didn't uh, grow up um, a, really in a Christian home or as an Adventist or anything like that, but... Um, when I became a Christian, I guess I had the idea that as soon as I walked out of the baptismal tank, all those things would just melt away. And there were things that did fall away, you know, but it isn't like everything. And I'm, there's one in particular, one addiction I had that did not disappear, did not fall to the wayside. It was very hard for me to resist. And it came to the point where I threw in the towel at some point in my life, even though I loved God, I spent my little time with him in the morning. Spent my, sometimes I, you know, I prayed, maybe falling asleep at night. Um, but I loved God, but at the same time, I felt like I had no recourse. Like, this is just something that was going to stay with me. And I told the Lord, well, you have to take it away, or, you know, um, I'll just die and maybe not make it, or you're going to have to save me this. I didn't know. I just basically, like I said, I just kind of gave up. Um, so um, I had uh, a very good friend who lived with me for a time, and she told me, because we got really close, she had a very similar experience, and she told me how she got over her addiction. And um, basically, she said, spend more time with Jesus. And in fact, when she got over this addiction, she didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Uh, but her father said, just spend time with Jesus. And she said, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And he said, that's okay. Spend time with Jesus, and then when you're over the addiction, you can let Jesus go. But you need Jesus to get over the addiction. Very smart father. He was probably praying on the way, you know, praying like mad for her. And um, she said she spent five minutes, and you know. But eventually she did get over this. And so it was giving me hope. At the same time, I went through kind of a tragedy in my life. And I felt like I didn't have anywhere to turn. 
So there were several things that were, I think, God put in my life totally that caused me to really start spending serious time with him. And um, God was never my friend. Even though I loved him, he was never, I couldn't call him like my best buddy or my friend because I felt always this thing, like I'm talking, I was talking at the beginning where I had to clean, my, clean up my act and almost shame to talk to him. So I did my little thing, but I was always kind of distant from God, not realizing, not realizing that my very condition was what was recommending me to him. Anyway, so um, as I was reading and praying and spending more time with God, and I was, this desire for him was increasing, I also realized that my role was surrender. Um, I realized that I was going about it the wrong way. I was always trying to get over this, and I was focusing so much on this addiction that that's all I was doing. I wasn't focusing on the Lord. I kept saying, okay, i got to stop. i got to stop thinking about it. i got to stop doing it. I, you know, I was just always like, oh, got to change my circumstances. i got to have this in the house and not this. In the you know, I was trying to change so many things, and I realized, no, I can't do it. I need God to do it. I need to just surrender this to Jesus, and that's what I did. And every time, every time it would happen, I just said, okay, God, I surrender it to you. Please forgive me. Please, I would surrender. And um, I was claiming verses like, I think my favorite verse during that whole time was 1 Thessalonians 5.24, and it says, he who has called you is faithful, and he will do it. And I kept saying, God, you said you're going to do it. You're faithful. You're going to do it. And I just kept, and actually, at the same time, God gave me another person who was struggling with something very similar, and we were kind of going through it together so we could text and encourage each other. Um, anyway, so this daily, and I can tell you another thing that I did is, you know that beautiful text that says that with every temptation comes a way of escape. And so I would ask God, sometimes I could feel like the temptation was coming, and then I literally, and I would say it out loud if I was alone, usually in the car or someplace like that where I knew, oh, I don't want to go somewhere or do this or whatever, I'd just say, a way of escape, God, I need a way of escape. And he always gave it, every single time. I had a choice, I didn't have to take the way of escape, but I usually took the way of escape because I saw it, I recognized that he gave me a way of escape. Anyway, so there's a lot of details and a lot of things that go up to it, but I'm just going to tell you that he took it away completely, and it was literally um, getting up and saying, wow, yesterday I didn't, you know, indulge in that, and thinking, wow, that's crazy, God. I didn't even go through the day, like, <sighs> trying to resist. It just didn't happen, and, you know, it was, I realized that God was, my desire for God was weighing, outweighing my desire for that thing. And in fact, I hated it. I hated that thing. But one day I woke up and it was gone. And I'm telling you, it's gone. It was just so totally gone. And I didn't do it. But I had to constantly surrender. Can I go back to it? Yes, because God gives you that freedom. But will I go back? No. <laughs> Never again. But I want to encourage you um, I don't know what your situation is. You just may be very, um, it's very difficult for you to give up um, your independence and your desire to do it your way, whatever that may be. But just keep surrendering it to God. 
Keep coming to Jesus. Don't distance yourself from him. He is, he is very close to you, right? He says, yeah, come close to God and he will draw nigh to you, right? Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. I wanted to read one um, quote from the Spirit of Prophecy um, that actually, just yesterday, somebody shared it with me, and I said, this is perfect, perfect. It goes exactly with my sermon. It says, the tempted one needs to understand the true force of the will. Um, should say the will, I think. I don't know what I did there. This is, okay. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision, of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. Desires for goodness and purity are right as far as they go. But if we stop there, they avail nothing. Many go down to ruin while hoping and desiring to overcome their evil propensities. And that was describing me, basically. <laughs> That's where I was. Thank goodness God didn't, you know, he, he worked with me until I, until I got to the place. They do not yield to the will of God. They do not choose to serve him. God has given us the power of choice. It is ours to exercise. We cannot change our hearts. We cannot control our thoughts, our impulses, our affections. We cannot make ourselves pure or fit for God's service. But we can choose to serve God. Then uh, we can give him our will. Then he will work in us to will and to do his good pleasure Thus, our whole nature will be brought under the control of Christ. You know the story of the, this is my favorite parable, the, the prodigal son. And it should be called the good father, I think. <laughs> but the prodigal son who goes out and he spends his fortune. And once I spoke with a Muslim man, a Christian, but he was Muslim, and he said, um, People on the West don't really understand this parable, but he says this would be when Jesus was talking to the Palestinian and he was explaining that this boy wanted his inheritance. He was basically saying, Dad, I want you dead because that's the only time you got your inheritance. Your dad didn't divide out his, inher uh, his inheritance until you know you, he died and then his inheritance. And so a lot of times if this happened... When the boy got away, well, the, they would have a bounty on this boy's head and he would be murdered because he went in a front to say that to his father. And so um, this is quite, uh, it raised a lot of eyebrows, I can imagine, when Jesus was telling the story. But the father gave him the inheritance. And he went out and spent it all, ended up in a pigsty, and he came to his senses. The scripture says he came to his senses and he said, servants in my dad's house do better than this. And he must have had a little inkling of something of the goodness of his father to go back, you know, in that culture, to actually go back. And this is the picture that I love so much. I found it on Google there, but it's so beautiful because this is exactly the picture of the father. When he's going back, he's coming, and the father, what is the father doing? Is he sitting at home, enjoying himself? All these, I mean, for years, he goes to the gate every day, right? And he just looks, I wonder if today's the day my son will come home. And when he sees him from afar, he's filthy, he probably looks nothing like his son, 
Uh, you know, he might even limp now, but he says, I know, that's my son, and he starts running. Uh, it's just like, it just brings so much emotion to me because I think he's not the father who says, I'll let him come home and grovel a little bit before I let him in. He's the father that's running out there to get him. And then when he runs out there, of course, the son has a speech, right? His little speech, I'll plan, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'll just be your son. And the father doesn't want to hear anything about it. He hugs and he kisses his filthy neck. And he says to the servant, bring out the best robe. And then does he say, go take a shower so I can get all this stuff on you? No, he puts the robe right on his body, his dirty body. And he puts the ring. What does the ring signify? Who wears the ring? The son, because that has the seal on it. That's saying, you're no servant. You are my son. And you've come back home. You're always my son. You just went astray, but you are always my son. And then what does he put on his dirty feet? Sandals. He doesn't ask him to clean up. He puts all that beautiful stuff. And then he says, go kill the fatted calf. Because we're going to have a party because you were gone, and now you're back. Such a beautiful picture of our God, and that's what the picture I want you to leave with today, to remember that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more or want you more or to fix yourself up so you, he will accept you. He will accept you as you are. Yes, he wants to change you. He's not going to leave you there. Doesn't want to, he didn't want to leave his son you know, in the filth. He was going to get cleaned up. But when you come to Jesus, you come as you are, and he cleans you up. Let's bow our heads for prayer. My father, I just love this picture of you running, running, running to meet us, just when we make the one step to turn around to face you. Lord, you are the giver of the gift of salvation. And we are sinners so much in need of you. And so we want to all come to you. We want to confess our sins, Lord. We want you to live in our hearts. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that you want to live here. We thank you that you want us to know that we are saved. That every time we fall, it doesn't mean that we fall out of favor. But you pick us up and you put us back on the road. And you help us and you continue to forgive and cleanse. And Lord, we all want to be on this road together. Lord, I pray that every single person here will be assured of their salvation when they leave, that they will know this is really what they want, that they want you. They want a father like you, dear Lord, who's just going to take them and surround them and hold them up and clean them up. Lord, I pray um, for each person here as we leave, that we go home, dear Lord, that we won't be the same, that we will want to spend time with this beautiful Jesus who wants to spend time with us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.